So I leave for a couple of weeks and I come back and there's a parking lot. <laughs> Praise God. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? I cannot tell you what an amazing time that I was privileged to have with, with the youth group that went to Belize. Um, amazing time, amazing young people, very, very encouraging in so many ways. And then I was in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, I, spoke, I spoke 11 times over this trip, all kinds of different groups. And um, it was just a, a beautiful time to be in God's presence and to bring God's presence everywhere I went and everywhere we went. I'll tell you what, it is so great to be home. I slept in so many different bed situations where I, you wake up, you don't know where the bathroom is because it, where, which, which house am I in? Which turn do I take? And every morning was, it was depend on what instant, it was always instant coffee and it's just great to be back. Oh, and I like you guys too. It is a, it's a very strong word this morning. Um, so here we go. Romans chapter 12. Here we go. 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Father, I thank you for all that you are doing, all that you have done. Would you please, would you please speak today? Speak to our minds, God, and speak to our hearts. Let your fire fall in this place today, we pray. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tell me what to do. I can feel it going in and out. Okay, let's get the... No, that's, that's plenty tight. Should I just go to the handheld? Okay. It's one of those days, guys. We got a screen down, we've got a microphone down. Okay, here we are. So the title Tell me you guys were just messing with me. So the title of the message this morning is Living Sacrifices. Point 1 is worship. 
to a Jewish mind. What comes into your mind when you hear the word worship? Maybe Things work better in Mexico than this. <laughs> so what comes into your mind? With, with some, it might be worship is what we do on, on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is worship. Maybe what comes into your mind is worship is when we sing hymns. I don't know what these new choruses are, but real worship is when we sing Amazing Grace or, or we sing one of the age-old hymns that God has so anointed. Or maybe it's the, the choruses, the newest chorus, the, the freshest chorus that's out of Bethel or out of Kansas City. Now, now we are worshiping. Maybe when you think of worship, what you think of is a worship leader. Oh, I just like it when he leads. Or I like it when she leads. Or I like this worship band. Or we've got people at Life Fest today because this band is there and that's worship is when when they lead. Maybe what comes into your mind is the new technology that uh, is around worship. And we've got stuff on the screen and some in some we were in Guadalajara and they had it all happening. There was a smoke machine and light show and and worship was exciting because of all of the technology that was added. Or maybe what really comes into your mind when you hear the word worship is uh, what irritates you about worship. And why in these new songs do they always sing in a key that is too low for me so that they can go an octave up in a key that's too high for me so I can't really sing along. And we've all got preferences with worship, don't we? But what came into a Jewish mind when they heard the term worship was death. Something had to die. God is a holy, holy God. And in worship, there needed, to, it was a very messy thing. Something was going to have to die for there to be worship before this holy God. There were two types of offerings. There were, well, there are actually many types, two main types. One was a sin offering that, that reminded the people that God's judgment on their sins needed to be atoned for. And so they would take an innocent animal and shed its blood because without blood, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And there was a second type of offering called the whole burnt offering that was not in regards to sin, but in regards to devotion. This was the offering that was answered from God by fire. So today Jesus 
Jesus has made the sin offering for us. The word sacrifice means to kill. It says in Isaiah 53 that it pleased God. It pleased the Father to offer his son on our behalf. There was no way for us to come to God except through the sacrifice of Jesus. So what we bring is our own lives in response a sacrifice of devotion. A sacrifice that must be wholehearted. It must be all of ourselves where we offer ourselves to be dead to sin, dead to ourselves, and alive to God. So what God's looking for in response to what Jesus did is not our song or our tithe. He's looking for way more than that. He wants us. He wants us. And when he has us, he gets our song and our money and he gets our everything else. But the idea that you can somehow come in halfway and just give God a little here and a little there and a little there is absolutely contrary to the worship that he seeks, which is us. So that was, that was point one. Here's point two. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. (laughs) This is, this is the key to being a living sacrifice. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, da, 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 for three chapters. You cannot do the horizontal of Christianity without the therefore in view of God's mercy. Therefore, he has, he has spoken for 11 chapters. He has done 11 chapters on the mercy of God. For 11 straight chapters, he describes the mercy of God towards the human race. And then in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, this is how you live. And the last three chapters of Romans are on how we live on how you actually live it out. But the only way you live out Christianity in a way that pleases God is in view of his mercy. It all starts with his mercy, what he has done on our behalf. So how do we we understand the mercy of God? You cannot, you cannot understand it without understanding sin. So in chapters 1 and 2, he covers sin. Chapter 1, he, he, he talks about the sins of the Gentiles, that they profess to be wise and they have become fools, and describes the tremendous immorality of the Gentiles and license and all of these very graphic, graphic explicit sins that the Gentiles have sinned horribly without, and even though they don't have the law, they've got conscience and they have broken it and they have sinned against a holy God. 
And then in chapter 2, he talks about Jewish sins. And Jews, he, he starts in verses 1 through 4 talking about the hypocrisy, that you guys are set apart and you think you're holier than everybody, yet you do the same things. You judge them, but you do the same things they do. In fact, it's worse because you've been given the law, you've been given all these things, and you think you're special and you think you're holy, but you're doing the same things. And, and then he, he concludes this whole section about sin in, in Romans 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. No one has done what is right. All have sinned in verse 23 and fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot understand the mercy of God unless you start with your own sinfulness. It is so important that we understand that if we got what we deserve, the wages of sin is death. The way what we have earned for ourselves because of sin is death. God would owe no one an apology if we were all lost forever from his presence. We are sinners before a holy God. And then he starts in chapter 3 talking about what God has done in his great love for us. You know, I, I don't, okay, so this is all, can I, should I just go? Are we canceling second service? <laughs> no, I have no voice on. Should we turn the lights off as well? <laughs> Born again, Thank to you. to come in and live in people. 
people. And he started a whole new race of people so that we would reign in this life by the gift of righteousness. He would make us right as a gift. And by the abundance of grace, that in Christ, God would pour all of his grace out in Christ. And everybody that came in Christ, just like in Adam we were sinners, in Christ we are part of the new creation. And then chapter 6 through 8, the mercy of God in sending the Holy Spirit. That Christianity comes with its own engine. And that if you try to do this in your own power, you're going to fail. You're going to come back under the wall. You're going to come back under fear, guilt, condemnation. The only way you can live the Christian life is in the Spirit. And so God has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to partner with us, so that we can learn how to walk with God. Not just God walking by us, but God walking in us. God expressing His own life in and through regular human beings. That chapter, the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9, he, he says that the, the, the plan of God, before he even created anybody, because he knew about the fall, he foreknew the fall, that Christ was crucified before the creation of the world, that the purpose of this current creation is not perfection, it is redemption. And that God's plan, he predestined, that whosoever believed on Jesus would become adopted as the very children of God. That we would become the very sons and daughters of God. You know I love this headset. I hear something. I'm hearing something. Have you ever noticed poor sound men? They only the only time you ever notice them is something's wrong. <laughs> Truth is, they serve up there every single week. And then the question that comes to everybody's mind, what about Israel? What about the law? What about they've served God and they carried the law and they were God's people? Has God forgotten his people? Paul assures us, no, no, no. Israel will come in too. They've experienced a partial hardening, but there is a plan to bring Israel back because God is faithful to his promise. And then this whole 11 chapter section ends with this in Romans eleven thirty two. So then, what should we say then? That God has put all people under disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. His heart is mercy. His heart has always been mercy. And now, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves. 
in view to it of everything that God has done for the human race in Christ, in view of all that he suffered and all that he planned and all that he foreordained and all that is in his heart, in view of that, now you do something. Now you offer your own body, your own life, not just your inward thoughts, your whole life, your body, what you actually do with yourself, what you actually say, where you go. Everything needs to be offered as a living sacrifice. So if sacrifice means to kill, it's living killed. Offer yourselves as the living killed. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anybody wants to come after me, he needs to lose his life. He needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Daily. You see what God did? Guys, this is not, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself once as a sacrifice. This is, this is in view of God's mercy, you need to offer yourself again and again and again. Every day. Every day is a new day. Every day, you must view the mercy of God again. You must view Christ's love for you. You must view what God has done and respond again in view of his mercy. And it's every day. Every day we have to offer ourselves. Every day we have to decide, I'm going to be dead to me and alive to God. Every single day. In Matthew 13, verse 44, it's a key, key verse. It's a verse for... City Church, my oh my, this is the founding verse. Look on your, the front of your bulletins and, and you'll get the whole mission statement, the entire mission statement of City Church. Here it is. Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. There it is. That's why we exist. Matthew 13, explains it. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. That when a man finds it, First thing he does, when he recognizes what he has, he hides it again. He does everything he can to protect that which he has found. And then, for joy, he sells everything else that he might obtain that treasure and that field. The treasure, the the, the field is the church. People get around the church and they see a lot of things in the church and they see the people of the church and they're, they're like, I am not impressed with the field. I'm not impressed with these people. They're hypocrites and they, they, they didn't visit me and they don't care enough and they're selfish and they, you know, some of them are worshiping and some of them are eating donuts. And what, 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 what is this? What is this anyway? I'll tell you what, we're very ordinary people. But I'll tell you something, there is a treasure hidden in this field called the church. And that is the love of God. Amen. That is the intimacy that, 
There is an intimacy that God offers us in Christ that there is nothing in this world that that compares to it. There is an intimate presence of God where the gentleness of God comes and draws us and saves us in Christ that is, it is hidden from normal people. It is hidden from our eyes. In fact, it takes a revelation to see it. Peter Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You didn't figure this out yourself. The father revealed this to you. There is a treasure hidden in this field. And when you view that treasure, when you view that mercy, the motivation, the response is for joy, I will sell everything. I will be all in. I will... Gladly die to myself, glad, die to my own plan, die to my own vision, die to my own power. I am gladly because of the greatness of what I am getting. See, without viewing the treasure, all you're going to get is a list of do's and don'ts and a bunch of doctrines to believe. Without viewing the mercy of God, you're going to end up with a motiva- all kinds of motivations to serve God. One would be fear and guilt. One would be, I'm serving God to impress other people. One would be, I'm serving God to earn my way, because that makes sense to us. If I'm good enough, then God will be good to me. Or we end up getting into this, I'm going to pay God back. God did all this for me, I'm going to pay God back. Guys, you can't pay God back. He paid something that you owed that you could never pay yourself. The idea that we can pay God back by our service is craziness. So what happens often is people get a view of the mercy of God, a view of the treasure up front and make a commitment to Christ and then uh, life happens and they stop viewing it. And now they just view other Christians and they get offended by Christians, they get offended by pastors, get offended by the church and then they question whether this thing is even real or not. See, if you're going to be a living sacrifice. If, if daily you're going to take up your cross, you've got to view his mercy daily. You've got to view again and again and again the love of God. So one of the meetings that I had was with uh, a group of leaders in a church, and it was the central leaders. I was going to meet with a bigger group of leaders in a second meeting. They, they love meetings over there. They can meet forever. Anyway, um, <laughs> So, but at the end of this meeting, and we had food with it, was uh, a question and answer time. And one one of the guys said, you have been in ministry almost 30 years. How, how have you kept the fire? How are you still so excited? And the answer was this. The secret is not my love for Jesus. The secret is his love for me. The secret every single day is Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you died for me. No matter how my faith might go up and down, his is always steady. His zeal, his devotion is always at full blast. He never wavers. He never, it says that many, many waters do not quench his love. His love is like a jealous 
fire. And it doesn't matter how many sins or how many failures or how many. He doesn't reevaluate his opinion of you. Trust me, he's full blast in love with you. Well, yeah. That sounds great, except because of that, he's very invasive. And, and people are like, hey, I'm, you know what? Leave me alone. He's like, I can't. I can't. I died for you. I created you. You are created to be my child. You are created to be my bride. And I am jealous for your affection. I cannot sit on the side and be apathetic while you are involved in idolatry. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice again and again and again and again. And then finally, which is your true and proper worship, which is really not a great translation. There's, there's one translation that says, which is your reasonable service of worship. It is, it's the, this is, the, the, the Greek word is logia, which is where we get our words logical. It is our logical response to what he has done for us to offer ourselves dead to him or dead so that we can be alive to him. He says it in another uh, letter a little easier to understand because it seems so, what does it mean to be dead to yourself? Well, this will make it more clear and I'm not saying you're going to like it because having it even more clear makes it even more painful. But here we go. Second Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So what does it mean to die to yourself? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Jesus. You offer your lives. You offer who you are. You offer your resources. You offer your plans. You offer your retirement. You offer everything you are. And you say, Jesus, this is yours to glorify you. This is yours so that your name will be hallowed and lifted up in the earth. Pastor Tom, I can't, I can't do that. I'm too selfish. I got news for you. We're all selfish. If we all live by our natural bent, we will do, we'll do what's best for us. Even Jesus will be for us. It'll be about us. It'll be, we're going to take as much of Jesus that will help our life, improve our lives, and it'll just be about all us. You can't miss the beginning of this. Paul says, it's the love of Christ. That compels us. Here's our engine. It's Jesus' love for us. It's Jesus' love burning in us. This is how we do it. This is not normal. 
This is, this is the very love of God being manifested in us. So this brings us to the main point today, and that's point three, which is my final point. The sacrifice answered by fire. So we have, in Leviticus chapter 9, the very end of the chapter, we have Aaron preparing the burnt offering. He gets the sacrifice all ready. He backs away and fire comes from the presence of God and the sacrifice that he offers is answered by fire. You got a very graphic story in chapter 10 of his sons, Nadab and Abihu, at some point later, and this is right at the beginning of the tabernacle, and so it seems very harsh, but God, God had to make a statement about his own holiness. And at the very next chapter, Nadab and Abihu, they see the fire of God hit this, and they get their idea, they're going to make their own fire. They're going to bring their own fire, their own energy, their own idea, their own plan. And so they bring strange fire before the Lord, and God's fire comes and has to kill Nadab and Abihu. That doesn't mean they went to hell. That just means God had to preserve his own holiness at the beginning of this covenant. This is not about man's ideas and man's plan and man's energy and, you know, that God loves us to do it however you want to do it. No, God has an opinion. God has a way that he does it. He is holy. He is set apart. It is different than our opinion of how things should be. And we need to honor that and respect that. You cannot understand the gospel until you understand that it doesn't matter how you think it should be. It's it's how it is. It does not go well with our culture. Everybody wants to be equally right spiritually. Well, that works for you. I'm glad that works for you and this works for me. It's not how it works. No, there there is such a thing as truth and error. So then we have it again in 1 Kings chapter 18. There are all these false gods that are Baal, Baal worshipers. They've they've introduced idols. They've introduced a whole other system in Israel. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. and, and, And Elijah says, listen... You guys have gone into idolatry, but let's not make it my word against your word. He said, let's both make sacrifices. And, the, and whoever, whichever sacrifice is answered by fire from heaven, that will be the true God. So the Baal worshipers, early in the morning, get their sacrifice going. They, they kill animals. They offer them to Baal. They cry out to Baal. They are, going, they are going all morning long, hour after hour, begging Baal to send fire. And Elijah says, uh, maybe, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's on vacation. They cut themselves. They're, they do all kinds of self-flagellation to get Baal to answer with fire. Nothing happens. So Elijah steps up and says, are you guys done? Is there anything else you want to try? Are you quite done? We're done. So he comes and he kills the sacrifice and then it's in the middle of a drought the most precious thing is water at this time and he pours water over it 
again and again and again to make it difficult for God (laughs) to burn this thing. And he prays a very short prayer. And fire comes from heaven and doesn't just take up the sacrifice but licks up all of the water. And Elijah says, the Lord, he is God and everybody bows down to worship. The sacrifice of the early church was answered by fire. Jesus was the sin offering. He died once for all, for all of us. He goes to his disciples. He says, now you go wait. Now you go wait in Jerusalem. Now you go lay your own energy down. Go wait in Jerusalem. For not many days from now, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He is going to fill you with the dunamis, the power of God. And then you will be my witnesses. Don't go out and do this in your own energy. You go wait. And so they offer themselves. It is not the sin offering. It's the whole burnt offering. It's an offering of devotion. They go to Jerusalem and they wait in the upper room. They wait for 10 days. And when the day of Pentecost fully comes, suddenly, suddenly, a wind comes into the room and blows on them. And fire comes. And a fire comes, not, not one fire that hits Peter so that everybody would say, Peter, you are important. Peter, you're the leader. Peter, No, no, a fire comes, 120 fires. It comes down and it splits. And there's a fire for every single heart. Every heart is burning. And Jesus said, now I'm going to start my church in the fire of God. And they changed the world. No other church, no other Christianity will change the world. The idea that you're going to have a half-hearted, half-in, add a little religion to your life, it would be nice if my kids went to church, so we're going because I want the kids to have some values. The idea that that Christianity is going to change the world is absolutely false. In fact... We actually find that Christianity. In Revelation 3, Laodicea. They, they are in, they, they believe, they've, they've been saved, and Jesus has a message to the church. And, and the message is this, you guys have said in your heart, we don't need you. I'm at the door outside of the church. You, you've said, we're good to go. And he said, you don't realize, I have fire. I have fire. I'm knocking at the door and I have my fire to make you gold. Jesus, John said, he is coming and he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's Jesus wanting to bring his fire into the apathy and the lukewarmness. And he said, your devotion. These are very hard words. He said, your devotion makes me sick. Makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. I didn't die for this. I did not die for a bunch of half-hearted people. And he, he's, he's speaking to the whole church. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spew you out of my mouth. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what this is about. It's like, I want to remove your influence as a church. I, I don't want people to go to your church. You would always think if your church isn't growing, that must be the devil. 
You know what? Sometimes it's God. Jesus said, I don't want that reproduced. He said the same thing to the church at Ephesus. He said, you've lost your first love. You work hard. You've got good doctrine. You persevere. But I don't want what you have repeated. I'm about to remove your lampstand unless you come back to your first love. I want fire. I want fire. I don't just want work. I don't want just right doctrines. I want your heart alive with the love of God. So we plan this missions trip to Belize. And we said we want to take, we're going to try to pay for every kid that can come, every, everybody that wants to come. You sign up, we'll find a way to pay for it. And, and we did. But all along, from the very, very beginning, I knew that this missions trip was more than about building a house. I, and I told Derek, I said, we, we are going to have camp there. That this, the idea that we're going to, that teenagers are going to make it as Christians in this world without having a fire burning is ridiculous. The moral confusion out there, the moral apathy out there, the, the, all of the gods that are around, all the idols, all the internet, everything is right at their fingertips. Pornography and distraction, everything. The idea that our kids are going to be good Christian kids without a fire burning is ridiculous. I said, Derek, this has got to be both. This has got to be missions, but it also has to be camp. We have to have come Holy Spirit meetings. They have to view. They have to view the mercy of God. They have to see the treasure in the field themselves. They cannot just do it and believe it because we told them to believe it. They've got to have an encounter. So, so I'm in charge of the three camp meetings. So Friday night, we get, we get there on Wednesday. Oh, no, it was, we got there Thursday night. We st- I'm not even going to tell you how we got there. Anyway, here we are. It's Friday night. That's all you need to know. It's Friday night. Here we are in a circle, 28 of us. And I'm preaching on living sacrifices. And it's a very shortened version of this message. It's called view before you do. You have to view before you do. And that God is calling us to be living sacrifices. And he wants to pour his fire out on us. And so I had already purposed, God, I'm only going to do my thing. And if, if, the, if the suddenly of God doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I'm not going to try to make something happen. This is not going to be strange fire. So I get done preaching my thing. I, of course, I'm excited. I'm always excited. I don't really know what to do. I give the microphone to Pastor Joe. He prays a prayer for the whole group. And, and then he passes the microphone to the next guy. And the next guy prays a nice prayer. And I, I see where this is going to go. The mic's going to get passed all the way around. We're going to have 28 people taking a shot at praying. And I'm just like, I'm not, that's not going to happen. Let's end this meeting. So the second guy that Joe gives it to, he prays. And then I just go over and get the microphone from him. And I'm about to close the meeting. And the fire of God hits one of our young people. And just without anybody asking or trying or anything, one of our young people just starts weeping, convulsing. 
I go over and put a hand on Pretty soon the whole group is around him. And as we're praying him through, another one gets hit. And she starts confessing secrets and darkness that's been holding her for years. And we see her go free. And just as she's going free, the Holy Spirit hits another one. And, and there's just weeping. And you can't keep up with it because it's, it's like popcorn. It's boom, boom, boom. And we got kids moving over here. We got kids moving over here. We got groups crying everywhere and there's snot everywhere. And, and it's just a holy, it's a holy spirit. It's the suddenly of God. And we get, we get at the end of that night and we're, we're, no one wants to leave. It's now almost 11 o'clock and no one, no one wants to leave because what we've experienced together is so beautiful and so holy. And one of the teenagers says exactly what I'm thinking is we are, we are in right now the love of God. This is the love of God being manifested. It's such a safe, beautiful place. So one of the meetings, I gave a story to explain to young people why, why we have to be all in, why any other Christianity doesn't work. And the story is this, that there was the owner of a house. He owned a beautiful house. It was his house. He was proud of home ownership. And there was a knock at the door. And he went to open the door, and he was stunned. Because when he opened the door, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the majestic one, was at his door knocking. He looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, do you want to enter my house? Jesus, I am so honored and so privileged that you would knock on my door. I am so happy to have you come in my house. Please come into my house. And he brings Jesus into his house. He leads him into the house and his mind is racing. What what am I going to do? And he takes Jesus upstairs and he thinks about the house and all the rooms and he says, Jesus, this is your room. It is the best room in the house. It is a room that is clean. There's nothing offensive in it. It is the best room in the whole house. Jesus, this is your room. So the next morning, there is another knock at the door, and he goes once again to open the door, and he opens the door, and there in all of his hideousness is Satan. The devil, the devil himself is at his door, and he slams the door shut, but the devil got a foot in. And he busts into the foyer and he wrestles with Satan all day long. All day long he wrestles with Satan. Finally, at the end of the day, finally, he gets the devil pushed back out and slams the door. But he's completely exhausted. And he can't help the thought of where's Jesus? Why didn't Jesus do anything? Next morning, another knock at the door. He knows it's the devil. I am not going to answer that door. 
I am absolutely not going to answer that door. I don't care what happens. I'm not going to answer that door. And the knocking goes on. There is something so alluring about the knock. He is drawn to that door. It is a, it is a contest of wills. I don't want to open. I don't want to open. And then he, he comes to a, a decision. I'm just going to peek. We're just going to see what's back behind that door because maybe I'm missing something. Maybe this is something good. So he just takes the smallest little peep. The devil busts the door in. And once again, they wrestle all day long. But this time it's different. This time he is offended. He is going to, he is, he is at the end of himself. He can, he can barely even breathe. He is so weary. When he finally gets Satan out, he is like, I am going to have to have a talk with Jesus. I am, I mean it. I'm going up there and I'm, we're going to have a talk. So he, he climbs the stairs and he knocks on Jesus' door and the, Jesus opens, the Lord of glory. And then he remembers to be respectful. Sir, I'm, you may not be aware of this, but Satan has been here the last two days. I have wrestled him all day long. I am exhausted. Jesus smiles. He says, my son. He says, I love you. My favor is on you. He said, when I came to this door, it was because this house, I've actually purchased this house with my own blood. He said, to this point, I have lived in your house. I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you go to your safe and get the deed of this house and sign the house over to me? And instead of me living in your house, how about if you live in my house? He's like, game on. So he goes to the safe and he gets back and he signs the house over and Jesus takes the deed and Jesus goes back into his room. Sure enough, next morning that knock comes. And when the knock comes this time, you know what grabs his heart? Fear. Fear. I know, I know I'm not going to, I know I'm going to open the door again. I know I'm, I'm, I, I can't resist it. And and, and so he's afraid, and he, know, he doesn't know if he can make it. He doesn't know if he can get the devil out again, honestly. He's so weary and so tired. And as he is considering his fear, he hears steps on the stairs. Jesus is on his way downstairs, and he's not happy. And he's like, I can't wait to see what happens next. And Jesus looks over at him and he says, son, come here. He says, I want you to open that door. And I don't want you to peep it open. I want you to open it wide open. And there's fire in his eyes. And he says, I will be standing right behind you. You ask him what he wants. So he gets up to that door. He looks, because the knocking is still coming. It's very alluring, but he makes sure Jesus is right there and there's fire burning. And he opens the door wide open. There's the devil in all of his hideousness. 
And he says, what do you want? And Satan begins to tremble. And he says, nothing. And he turns and he flees. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. This is the only Christianity that has authority, folks. So the Lord showed me something. And in fact, we can have the worship team starting to come right now. The Lord, the Lord showed me something as I was praying for this morning. That many are tired, just tired. You've been in this struggle with the devil, with Christianity, and you are just worn out. And the Lord wants to make an exchange today. A lot of times when we become Christians, we don't understand what it even means. And so, of course, we're, we're, we add Jesus to our lives. We still got our life, and we add Jesus to it, and we don't, we don't understand why it cannot work without being all in. Or we're all in up front, and we get baptized, and, and we're all in for a little while, and then we just kind of go back to, reg- we know other Christians, and, and they're not all in, and they seem to be doing okay, and then we go back to this, this kind of lukewarm Christianity, and frankly, everything in our culture is designed to put you to sleep spiritually. Let's just be honest. No one is going to keep a fire going with God unless you intentionally keep the fire going. You, you, you need to be extremely intentional to have a fire burning for God in the middle of America that has gone very soft in many, many ways. But that Christianity doesn't work. And so you get beat up and you get tired. And then you start wondering if God even exists or does Jesus even love me? And, and, and the Lord is saying, this is Matthew chapter 12. He says, I will not put out a smoldering wick. He said, I will not break a bruised reed. When you are bruised, when you are hurting, when you are fragile, can you think of anything more fragile than a bruised reed? Jesus said, I am not going to despise your weakness. I'm going to come and I'm going to put my hands and I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to make you strong again. And he said, and if you become a smoldering, smoking wick, there's no fire anymore. There's no fire at all. You're, you're, you're dead. You've got, you're, 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 uh, you, you may have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead on the inside. How many know that Jesus knows that? You might impress me or get, deceive your neighbor, but Jesus sees everything. And he says, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Bring it to me. Bring me the smoldering wick. Get honest enough to say, there used to be a fire. Maybe I had a fire one time, but I certainly don't now. Bring it to me. I will give you my beauty for your ashes. 
Trim your wick. It's a new day. Cut off that which has been. Cut off the direction you've been going in. Trim that wick because I've got fresh oil. See, Jesus is the high priest. The high priest's job is to re-oil the lamps so that the lamp will burn continually in the presence of God. The Lord gave us a word at the end of last year for this year. He said that he was going to make a bonfire in this church. He was going to make a fire in this church that Sunday after Sunday, people would come into this place and be able to experience easily the fire of God. But that wasn't the end of the word. That from that fire, God was going to create brush fires in our community. That a brush fire is something not orchestrated by man. It just catches. It just catches. That the joy of what God has done in us, the joy of of his mercy toward us is, is going to be contagious. That we're going to, not because we have to or because we're afraid or because of guilt or because we're trying to earn something or we're trying to impress something, but, but the pure joy of the love of God and the salvation of God, we're going to carry this thing. We're going to carry it into our, our workplaces and into our schools and, and, and we're just going to be in love with Jesus and people are going to want to know why are you so different? Why are you happy? And we're just going to give them the reason and God's going to take our little brush fire and he's going to set another fire and they're going to say, where do you go to church again? Where do you go to church again? So with a lady yesterday who was cutting my hair. Number three, I'm the easiest haircut in the world. The number three razor. She's like, is that it? That's it. She said, she just, she asked me what I, who I was, and I said I was a pastor, and she said, you know, my, my husband and I want to start going to church. We want, we want our kids to go to church. Where is your church? What time, what time, because she works in the mornings. I, I want to come to that six o'clock service. I said, you would be so welcome. Brush fire. So let, could we stand? Let's do something, bro. Let's just do something. Lord, I will love.